Good morning. Welcome. If this is your first time to our community, welcome. We'll leave this up here for the next worship time if you'd like to still do that. It's so good to have you here. Sorry, I really do mean that. I'm just looking at my iPad while I said that. It is so good to have you here. <laughs> welcome. Uh, the kids can go. Where's Malcolm? They're going with Mal Meninga. And Mal has, as always, the best treat. So if the kids want to go, they can go hang out with Malcolm. <laughs> Mal came in this morning to teach his lesson with a piece of board on string and asked if he could lower someone down from the ceiling to teach the lesson. I agreed, but it, uh, we had to uh, say no for the parents' sake. So it's going to be a hoot of a lesson up there. Why don't I just pray before we, before I start. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. Come and speak this morning. God, I pray that you come and have your way. Help me to get out of the way so that your will be done here this morning, Lord. I just pray that everything that's from me, Father, falls to the ground. But the things you want to say this morning, plants like seed, Father, and begins to grow. Come and have your way, Jesus. Come and have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. I feel and I've felt all morning this strong sense of the Holy Spirit. Like I've felt like I'm going to be sick all morning. And I've felt like crying since I got in the car. So I don't know what God's going to do. But I'm just going to do what I'm told and preach. And then we're going to go back into worship and just let God move. So... Forgive me if I sound a little jittery. But so far we've been walking through Acts and I've been talking about what actually is taking place in Acts and what's been happening. And Josh, can you just turn me down a smidge, please? I just feel like I'm shouting. And what we've looked at so far is that the Holy Spirit fell on a people. There was power given to the disciples. And then the very next picture we see, which I preached on last week, is that that Peter takes that power that was given and he, and he turns it into an incredibly powerful sermon about Jesus. He takes this wild thing that's taking place where the Holy Spirit falls, they're speaking in other languages, every nation under heaven is there, and instead of taking a moment to wow in what's happening, he rather points to Jesus and begins preaching a sermon about who he is and who he said he was, and that everything that's taken place at Pentecost is because Jesus was true and who he really said he was. And he takes the power that's given at Pentecost and he says, right, this is what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And he represents the power of the Holy Spirit into the package that Jesus promised into who he is. The power was given from the Holy Spirit and Jesus is how we, how we are given the power. And the reason is to bring people back into God, back into a fellowship with him, back into the original plan that was made in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning, to bring us into unison back with him, bring us back into his family, which I'm going to, to speak about this morning. I'm, I'm in the last verse of Acts, Acts 2, 42 to 47. And it's titled in most Bibles, The Fellowship of the Believers, and it reads this. 
Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miracles, signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. So the power falls. There's this amazing expression of the Holy Spirit comes among the believers. Peter stands up and he preaches about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, all the people who hear, who are around, who hear this sermon about Jesus and the incredible man of who he was and who he is, and they decide to start to gather together and to teach one another and to go deeper and deeper and deeper into him. This verse right here is a challenge to all of us because it really is the, the, the church that we're supposed to be living out of. It's, ch- it's what the church is supposed to look like. Now, there, there are a few exceptions. Obviously, there's a different context. We live in different worlds. People didn't live that far away from each other that were doing communion. They were living in, in the same town, in the same place. But what's drawn here in this verse is what I'm going to express today is four areas that the church did, which, which we need to strive as a people to start to operate in. Not just this house, but, but the church, all those who gather together. They operated in these four things. They were a learning church. They were a loving church. They were a worshipping church. And they were an evangelistic church. That word church meaning those who gathered together, the called out ones who gathered together, who, who shared life and did things with each other. But the interesting thing, I want to tell a little, a little story. I was going to start my sermon with this, but I, I decided against it. But imagine this for a second. There's a conference in America. Your favorite speaker is speaking, whoever that is to you, John Piper, uh, Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, whoever you want to choose, is speaking in America. So you gather your family, you buy tickets, you fly all the way to America for the conference, right? The conference that's being put on. You get your seat. It's amazing. There's heaps of people there. You come all this way. You're hyped. You're pumped. You sit down in your chair and the first session starts. And again, whoever your favorite speaker is comes out on stage. And he tells a story. He says, there was a farmer and a farmer built this beautiful table on his back deck. And on the table, he he built the table in order to put his biscuit, his favorite biscuit. It was a scotch finger biscuit. He sat it on the table, and while he was sitting back reclining, marveling at the table that he had built, a goose jumped up on the table and stole his biscuit. And as the goose stole his biscuit, he yelled to the cat that was beside him in his right hand to go and get the biscuit back. Cat gets the biscuit back, brings it back to the table, but it's broken. But the farmer's able to mend the biscuit, and all is well again. Then your famous speaker closes his Bible. He says, Amen. Biscuits at the back, tea and coffee, have a good time. And he walks off the stage. And that's it. Conference over, finished, kaput, all done and dusted. We would be terribly upset, irate. We would want our money back. 
We would be emailing every man and his dog on the thing. I flew all this way for a conference, and all I got was a story. This is not good enough. The conference was awful. We would go home begrudged. He would no longer be our favorite speaker, and we would never go back to a conference again. The difference is is that that's how Jesus spoke, that they would come from all over, bring everything they had, packed for days, walk to sit in front of Jesus, and he stands up and he tells a parable that makes absolutely no sense. Could you imagine that journey walking home with your partner and your kids? You've just trekked three days, you're out of food, you paid everything, and you're like, so the farmer sold a farm and he got great goods. Awesome, great story. I'm so glad we came all this way for that. But the difference between the disciples who really wanted to know Jesus went home, they opened their pads and their papers, they wrote the story down, they started circling different things. Who was the farmer? Okay, I think the farmer's the father of God. Okay, what's the table? I think the table is the earth, the thing he created. What's the biscuit? Well, I think, I think the biscuit's us maybe. And then the goose, the goose has to be something to do with, with how we lost it. We start to break the story down. We start to understand, where do we fit in this Jesus? What are you trying to tell us? We trust you. We know that you wouldn't waste our time. We know who you are. We know that you love us. We know that you'd give us everything. So what are you trying to tell us? As a people, we would sit and, and we would bring our friends over. Hey, Dave, who do you think the biscuit is? What is this story, man? Who was the goose? And why does the goose take the biscuit? And who's the cat? We would start to break the story down, talk about it. And then Dave, bro, I just woke up, I know who the biscuit is. We're the biscuit. The goose is, is, is the enemy, is Satan. But the good part of the story is that the cat, Jesus, he saves us. It's all well and good. Then all of a sudden, the conference makes sense. The trek was worth it. We heard the good news. We heard the gospel of Christ. Everything starts to make sense. But see, it takes two parties. The person to tell the story and the disciple to hold it, to steward it, to listen to it again and again and again and again and say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? It's easy to look at a preacher who stands on a stage and can break down a verse. But this is not easy for us. I don't wake up in the morning, take an hour, jot down these things and away we go. I have to wrestle with it. Ask my wife, I, get fr- I came home frustrated on Friday because I didn't finish my sermon. I was going to have to do more work on it on Saturday. And I was like, oh, I just don't know where I'm going. I don't know what it is because I was wrestling with the words God was saying. See, as a people, we have to be a learning church. We have to be a people who go away with the words God's given us, go away with the teachings we've heard in our churches, go away with the hundreds and hundreds of sermons we've listened to on on YouTube and understand, God, what are you saying to me in this time? That's what a disciple does. A disciple doesn't go from place to place to place to place listening for, well, I didn't quite understand it, so it wasn't a good sermon. Good. You should walk away from here a little bit more puzzled, a little bit more excited to say, God, you're in here. Where are you? What are you saying to me? Ben spoke about Acts he's been there for so long I still don't get it I've read it again and again and again and again and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you understand it and you go oh my goodness and then you start to wait like I hope someone talks about Acts 2 because I know a little bit I hope someone talks about it where I can give what I know where I can express what God's shown me we become a church that's eager to learn that's eager to hear his voice 
the word, the, the Greek word devoted is proskotero, and it means to be earnest toward, to persevere, to be steadfast, to be continually diligent, or to attend assiduously. The word devoted in the dictionary means to be given over to the display, study, or discussion. To be given over to, to be earnest towards, and to persevere, and to be given over to. We have to be a people devoted, given to the words of God, given to the teachings of Jesus, given to the worship and praise of Him, given to what He's saying given to who he is in everything that we do, we become a people devoted to him. Just like you see somebody who's a, a basketball fan or a tennis fan and they know all the stats without looking at any screen. They know the player, they know the gear they wear, they know how they operate, they know where their strengths and their weaknesses are because they're devoted to the game. They're passionate, they spend hours in the game because they give themselves over to it. We're supposed to be a people who follow the teachings of Christ, follow the teachings of the apostles, and we're given over to. We carry the verses in our heart. We pray about them. We seek God. We ask Him to help Him to help us understand them, and then we apply them to our life. We have to become a learning church. It's not mine and Jess's job to get you to learn. It's our job to express what God's saying in this season and time. And it's your job to devote yourself to it. Devote yourself to the things God's saying. Devote yourself. At the beginning of last week, I was praying and, and I was crying out and I was asking God to give me something, reveal something to me. And I heard one word. And from that word, I've read now two books. I've spent a long time in the scriptures finding that one word, trying to understand what it means. And you know, on my journey, I've been absolutely wrecked by what God's shown me. What I believe was sent to destroy us has now made us incredibly stronger through one word that God revealed to me. I woke up at like 2 a.m. and I heard it. And I went, God, that's it? <laughs> that's all I get? One word that makes absolutely no sense? And I felt God say, find it, dig. So I began digging, I began looking. Everywhere it says it in the scripture, that one word. Every person who's, who's worthwhile reading, who's written something on it, as far as from the reformers, as far as to the, the charismatics I could find to say, what, what's the consensus on this word? Now, God, what are you saying to me? And it changed something for us. We have to be diligent, a people willing to learn and grow in God. People who are disciples. That first one, a learning church, a discipleship of people. The next one is a loving church. We want to reform the church to become a loving church. Back to what it was always originally meant to be. One of the biggest things that the church gets hammered for in the world is that they're supposed to be loving. But I don't see love when I look in the doors. We're supposed to be a people who are loving to know the very person who is love, to have communion and understanding with the very essence of love, but to be a people who express and pour out love in the most incredible way. Verse 44, all the believers were in fellowship as one body and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. 
Daily they met together in temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. I want to I challenge one thing. This doesn't mean, this verse right here, doesn't mean we all sell everything we have, put it into the church kitty, and then all move in here and hang out as a big commune. That's not what this says. Please, please hear me. <laughs> I've had a few commune pictures to me in my life, uh, and I don't get excited about them at all. I need my space, but I will give you everything I have if you are in need. The reason we can see that is that they continued to meet in one another's homes. Obviously, they didn't sell their homes. However, it explains that they sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who are in need among them. I preached a little while ago about finances and the importance of a heavenly understanding of finances. And I preached about the idea of, of bread and seed. Right? That you can't, you eat your bread, but you sow your seed. You don't eat your seed. Right? Seed is your excess. You can only eat so much bread. You ever been to a banquet and you think you can do more than you really can? And then you get home and you're in like a horror town for the next three hours? It's because you ate too much. That's the reality of it. You had too many dumplings. You should have stopped at 30. But the reality is, is that we can't eat over the amount that our body can take. That's our bread. Right? They're the things we need to survive. However, God increases and increases and increases our seed of which we can sow and sow and sow and sow. More seed means more sowing. It doesn't mean our, our barns get bigger and bigger. It means we can sow more. So they sold the assets that they had in order to give to those who had nothing. Those that had more than enough sold them more than enough to give to those who had not enough. Do you get the picture? Right, so it was a loving church to say, you're in need. I have two cars. It's easy for me to have two cars, but I can get by with one. Hey, brother, here's my car. Be blessed. Be who God wants you to be. Now you have bread. Gather the seed and sow it on, as we've been taught. This wasn't to sell everything. It was to keep those in the community as a people. The word fellowship here, is the word koinonia. It's the word we, we, we use now as the word for church, the called out ones, the ones who gather together. But it comes from another word, which is koinokios, and it's the Greek word for generous. They took the word for generous and they made it the word for fellowship or people, the gathering of the people. As a people who gather together, the called out ones of God are to be a people of absolute generosity. They took that word and said, we need generosity in our fellowship, in our gathering together. Not, not a, a poverty mindset and not a selfishness, but a people who are generous. So let's make the gathering of the saints the same word or derived from the word that means to be generous. It also means something else. And I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here. Because I think that it's important. Josh, what was the word? So I don't have to go find it that we spoke about this morning. It's okay, I'm going to say it a lot. Intercourse. I'm not going to go and find it. But the word there, the word there means intercourse. <coughs> Social intercourse. The word... The word koinonia, a part of the word 
means social intercourse. Now, what happens in intercourse is you become bare. You bear yourself to your married partner. You are in the most vulnerable place you can be. When you enter into that intercourse in marriage, you enter into a place of complete and absolute vulnerability, a place that you would go nowhere else with. Intimacy. And the word speaks of social intercourse. An intimacy in a social gathering that means I bear myself to you. I trust you and I protect you and I want to look after you. It means a people who are not superficial and say, hey, how's your day? It's good, thanks. Thanks for asking. High five and we move forward. But rather it's a people who gather together and in their hearts they're, they're intertwined as one, as one body. The Bible talks about and this verse talks about as a fellowship of believers one to another. That means intimacy. That means I have your back like you have mine. In Christ, we are brought in together to protect one another, to be with one another, to look after one another through thick and through thin. Through our mountaintops and our valleys, I will be there. This is probably the most difficult thing we find in churches. Why? Because everyone's trying to climb the ladder to become the guy at the top. Let me tell you this. Those who are first will be last. Come into, a, come into a place and say, I don't need anything. I'll stay at the bottom of the ladder. But I will be vulnerable with you. And I will walk with you. And I will teach you. And I will train you. And I will be taught by you. And I will be with you in those moments. That's what koinonia means. To be a people who gather together in absolute love for one another. <coughs> who can be honest and real and raw with one another. That's difficult to do. Sorry, Tom Wright says this, when people ignore the common life of the Christian family, the often term that is used is fellowship, which is more than friendship and not less. They become isolated and often find it difficult to sustain a life of faith. When people ignore the common life of the Christian, of the Christian family, they become isolated and often find it difficult to sustain a life of faith. There's a book that I read quite a while back, um, called The Art of War. It's a very old, old, I think it's Chinese book. Yeah, Chinese way of fighting. And it's been taken on with a lot of uh, sociologists because it's a way that we protect ourselves and we build ourselves. One of the biggest things that the book talks about that an enemy will use is isolation. Because they take you away from your camp, they take you away from your people, they get you into a place where they can easily attack, and then your army is bigger than theirs. There's a famous um, movie, but it was a, a piece of history called the, the, the Spartans, the 300 Spartans, who realized that if they broke the massive army that was going to take them out into bite-sized chunks, they could just wipe the army out one piece at a time. That's what happens in churches often. Offense, the smallest piece of offense settles in, and they remove themselves from the community. And the enemy just hacks and hacks and hacks and hacks and hacks until all of a sudden that little thing that you didn't offer me a coffee on Sunday morning turns into you hate me and you've never loved me and I'm never coming back. Church after church after church after church we've watched tumble and fall because we haven't become a people that are truly loving at the core of our being. When we learn as a people 
to love regardless, like Jesus did. Agape love. I love you regardless of how much you hurt me. I love you regardless of who you are or what you're doing, and I will keep loving you. We become a people who cannot be broken down. Love is the very essence of what the church should be. It's who Jesus is. It's what he came to teach us, to bring us back, to finish with this loving, because I think it's one of the biggest points in these four, aside from worship. is that typically we are a selfish people. Typically we're a people who look at ourselves. I wanted to show a video from the movie Hook where Captain Hook talks about me, 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 I want a cookie, I want it now. And I thought, Flip, that's us, all of us, myself included. I want this, that's not good enough for me and my family. You don't call me enough, you don't visit me enough. No one thought of me while I was away. This is too hard for me, that's too easy for me. No one talks to me. Too many people talk to me and I need my space. Me, me, me. We all do it, myself included. You go home and you, you, you whinge and whine and you gripe about something that didn't happen for you, but the reality is, is that we're supposed to be a people who lay ourselves down. For one another to give ourselves over i love you brother you're a goose and, and you you're hurting me and you're annoying me but i'm gonna hug you until you hug me back don't go hugging people until they hug you back there's some rules there it was more of a picture to explain <laughs> love we need to be a people who operate like this edith gave jess and i a book last week um I forget what it's called, A Tale of Three Kings. And it's about David. And David says in this thing, when King Saul's throwing spears at him, and he says, someone asked him in the book, David, what did you learn? He said, I learned how to dodge spears and not become like Saul. I was like, flip, if that's not the biggest thing in the church we could ever learn, I learned how to dodge spears and not become like Saul. But I love the man who God chose. I'm like, that is complete and utter humility. He's trying to kill me. I'll just get out of the way and I'll love him out of the way. That is phenomenal. That's love. We must be a people that love, that loves first. Matthew 23, 37, 39. We know the verse. Two most important things Jesus leaves us. Love your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love. Two most important things we can understand. We must become a people like they were in the, in, the, in the beginning of Acts who love. The next one is a worshiping church, our focus. Who and what are we focusing on? Verse 47, they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. They were continually filled with the praises of God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Jesus Christ is worthy of all the praise we can give him. Continually filled with praises for the people. Sorry, continually filled with praises for God. They were continually filled. Every day, woke up, filled with praise for God. Every moment of every walk in their life, filled with praise of God. Sometimes we do that on our knees through tears because we're hurting, but we're still praising him. You are good, Jesus. I'm broken and I'm hurt and this is difficult and my feet hurt, and my, my body hurts and my head hurts, but I love you and you are worthy of praise. And sometimes we've, we've just 
had our car paid off or been healed from cancer and we're standing on top of the mountain. Jesus, you are worthy of the praise. You are worthy of everything. Continually, your praise will ever be on my lips. That every step that I take, your praise will be on my lips. Every moment, every time I feel hurt and beat, your praise will be on my lips. They were a people that were continually filled. I was scrolling through Facebook yesterday and I saw a a girl that I know from another church who was talking about um, how how to break repetition in worship so that people don't get bored. And I thought to myself, people don't get bored. In heaven, they're singing the same word for days on end. Holy, holy, holy. God, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Are we going to sing another song? No, this is the only thing that I can get out of my mouth. Imagine the angels. Uh, Choir? What's the next song? We're moving on here. Just like the first thing, imagine Shine and Coco just came in. They said, hey, good morning, guys. We're going to worship for the next three hours. No sermon, no snacks, no coffee. And this is the only song we've got. Holy. (laughs) And that's it. Right? There's a reverence and an awe. God, I see your throne room. I see your hair, your wool of white. Like John said, I fall on my face because your beauty is so much, because you're everything I could ever want. You're everything that I could ever want to be. Holy, holy, holy are the only words that I can utter from my mouth. But then we come on a Sunday morning and we're used to being pampered. We're used to being looked after. And God says, fall to your knees in my presence and worship me. Okay, God, but the only thing that I can utter from my mouth is holy. That'll do. That's good enough. But there's a giving over, a fullness, a worshiping church that we wake up in the morning and we've just been slammed by our boss or our wife just got up us for not making the bed or whatever it is, our car's broken down and we're standing there thinking, I'm going to yell at this guy and then the words that utter from my mouth are holy, holy, holy. God, are you... We were driving last night and the guy, I don't remember what he did. I oh, slowed down. The light was green and he hesitated like it was going to go red and he slowed down. And I was passengering and Jess was driving and I said, oh my goodness, look at this guy. And as I said it, I thought, I'm about to slam this guy for being a goose while driving. And I said something else. I don't remember what I said. I love him. I think I said, I love his driving. <laughs> And I thought, oh, it's so easy for it to slip from our lives. But the worship for him, holy, holy, holy God. And we just take a split second to think, a split second to think what's about to come out of our mouth. Jordan Peterson went in an interview, a very intense interview. The interviewer said to him, Jordan, every time I ask you a question, you take 20 seconds to respond. And in classic fashion, he takes 20 seconds to respond to the question about why he takes 20 seconds. But he said, we speak too quickly. And then you'll condemn me for what I say. So I want to make sure that when I say what I'm about to say, I'm willing to back it all the way to the end. 
And then she asks him a question about something he said in a previous interview. And he thinks, and he says, you know what? I'm not going to condemn my former self. I'm going to back what I said. Whatever I said, I stand by. And I thought, wow, that's a man of complete integrity to say, I'm going to think first and then respond. Because then I can put myself in a position where I respond out of the worship of God, not out of who the enemy wants me to respond. Because then I have to back that up. So when you're on the phone to Centrelink and that music's playing and you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to slam this lady when she answers. And then she answers and she says, how can I help you? And you pause. Holy, holy, holy are you God. Worship straight out of your mouth. And then you respond in a manner that God would want us to respond. This is why for us we've focused so much of the Sunday service on worship. That's why we worship at the end now and the beginning. Why? Because we want our life to be an absolute overflow of worship to God. The more we can do this together as a family, the more we can do this together as a fellowship of believers in that complete and utter unison together and worship Him, stand before Him and say, God, as a people, we declare Your holiness. More and more we can do that, the more powerful God will move and the more He will bring people in and say, look at these people who worship me regardless. It's all about Him. And we stand and we worship Him from that. Speaking of which, on the 22nd of this month, which is a sad day, we're going to gather here to worship God because the nation of Australia is fasting and we are ending that fast for the Gold Coast here and we're going to lead the worship. It's going to be worship and prayer, probably more worship and people just praying freely, but there's going to be some times of prayer. I think it's going to go, it goes for two hours I do have a slide, but I didn't get it to the man for, to put it up on the thing. It's at 6 to 9. 6 to 9. Here. 22nd this month. I will send more stuff out. I promise. It's the PM. It's a Saturday evening. And um, it will be full in here, I presume. It might not be. It might be. But it's open to the whole Gold Coast. We're the only church in the city closing out the national day of prayer and fasting so i said to len if we have to we open the doors and turn it up really loud but we're going to move the chairs out and we're just going to come and worship there might be 500 there might be five but there will be worship nonetheless back on track they were continually filled with reverence and adoration towards god we have to be a people who are continually filled with adoration and reverence toward God. That's what worship means in the dictionary. A feeling of reverence, of adoration towards a deity. They were continually filled with reverence, of adoration towards God. Worship is not just us sitting down and singing a song. Worship is the position of your heart that comes out of your mouth. Worship is the position of your heart that comes out of your mouth. If there's, if there's a guitar, spectacular. If there's drums, the best. But worship is our heart and what comes out of our mouth. Every day we wake up, we position our heart and we speak from a place of worship. The final one, 
It was an evangelistic church. It was the mission, the evangelistic church. 47, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Can I just show you something here? Without, I'm not trying to say that these things are bad. I'm just highlighting something. It doesn't say that they went out on the streets every Thursday night and did a, a, a treasure hunt and that's how they managed to fill the church with people. It says they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Should we go out in the streets? Yes, absolutely. Go and confess the word of God. If you do that every Thursday night, spectacular. But the reality is, is change this first. Change this to continually worship him and watch what happens. But then when you do go to the street, it's so easy. I'm not trying to convince you to come and be a Christian. I go, this is my life. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you what it is God's done in me and changed me to be. It was a continual worship that brought those in number. It was a position of their heart. Now, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't do Thursday night. I'm just saying if you're going, I work full time and I don't know how to get to the streets, you can do mission right there in your workplace as a mother, as a son, as a father. In whatever position you have, you can continually worship God and allow people to see your life differently. For those who can get to the streets, go. Because the Bible says, go. The Bible says, go into all the nations and make disciples. Go. Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go. Definitely go. But if you haven't changed this and you're going out of something else, it will be so hard. And you will fumble and fumble and fumble and fumble. Rather, come to God and say, God, teach me to continually worship you. Teach me to live a life of clean hands and a pure heart that when people see my life, you radiate from me. Then every time I walk the streets, people go, there's something wrong with this guy. No, there's something right with this guy. Let me tell you what it is. There's something in you that's different to the world. That's how we're supposed to evangelize. I've said it before, and I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, someone incredibly famous, much more clever than I, said, if you um, preach the gospel and if you have to, use words. Someone's going to yell it out, no? No, I don't think was it was. I think he started, I think it was something, someone fans, old school like Francis Stacey. We'll give you that. Maddie, 10 points. There's no point system. Preach the gospel if you have to use words, which means use your life to express the goodness of God. Use your life to worship him. Use your life to express Jesus Christ. Use your life. I've told this story again and again and again, but I love it. It's my favorite story from Mike when he went into a wool shop and the man behind the counter started crying and he said, Sir, I see Jesus in your eyes. He used his life to show Christ. 
he wasn't, he says in that, he says when he used to tell that story, I, I wasn't trying to evangelize the guy. It was my, it was my day off. I didn't want to be in the wool shop. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Yet God used my life that I had positioned for him to save the man's life. When we become a people that's evangelistic in nature, evangelistic in who we are, everything expresses Jesus. Everything expresses the goodness of God. Our words, our actions, our deeds, who we are. It's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. There will be sacrifice. There will be persecution, struggle and torment. But all of this is not even a blip on the radar to what it feels like to live closely to God and to see people starting to see what you see. It's difficult. Read the disciples. All but one lived a very difficult life. Yet they live a life filled with joy, filled with the power of God, filled with this passion to see people's lives change, to see people come to him and know what they knew. They lived a life of absolute adoration to the king, even though they lived through pain and struggle, yet they never left the joy of God because they never left Jesus. They never left looking at him. And your joy comes from the Lord. When we walk away from God, when we walk away from who Jesus is, the very essence of him, we actually walk away from from the joy of Jesus. And that's why we feel lonely and broken inside. They were an evangelistic church. They were a learning church. They were a loving church. They were a worshipping church. And they were an evangelistic church. The church in Acts grew not because Peter and Luke were amazing church leaders, but because they were diligent and the people became what they put in front of them. The people began to learn and grow. They began to love unconditionally and they began to worship continuously. And they went out and told everybody that, that they were feeling and what they were seeing. When we start to act out of who God's made us to be, more and more people will join the kingdom of God because of what they see, because of what they see in your life, what they hear, what they watch the testimony. So many people who give testimonies of of coming off drugs and going to God have friends that come with them because they go, I saw how awful your life was and now I see how incredible it is. What did you do? Because I want some of that. How can you wake up every morning and be joyous when you are just lost your job and you don't have any money and you're going, because Jesus is inside me. And I can't explain that to you until I just let you know how you can get him and then you get him and you, you know what I'm talking about. When Louis, when Louis gave his testimony, he came to me at the end and he said, Brian, I don't know that I really communicated you dropped that on me and I didn't really get the opportunity to to speak well I said yeah even if I gave you the right opportunity it's so hard to explain what God's doing in you that even then you can't explain it very well like I know I've had conversations with people and they've been like hey you are crazy I'm like yeah no I don't know what to tell you I am but if I could explain to you what's inside my life if I could explain to you the joy that I feel when I wake up in the morning and I know God is with me, when I explain to you the fact that when we don't have any money, it doesn't faze me because I know God is with me, that joy I can't explain to you other than let me show you how you can have what I have because it's free and he'll give it to you. It's free and he wants you to have it. Jess and I were in Burley last night. We came back to our car, or Jess's sister's car, 
and there was a, f- a flap sitting on the um, front of the car and we were all joking that her sister got a fine. And as we got closer, it was a golden ticket, right? And the golden ticket said, you've won the golden ticket. You get to go to heaven. And I was like, that's, that's fantastic. I didn't have to drive to Burley to get it and park in the right spot and hope to goodness the person put it on my car. But what I realized was I get to go to heaven. But even better than that, even better than heaven, I get to live every day of my life with Christ. I get to walk this thing out every day with him, step by step by step. Yes, I'm going to eternity. I'm going to be in heaven and it's going to be amazing and I can't wait. But even better than that is I get this right now. I get the freedom and joy to stand in Christ, in my brokenness and in my shame, in my, in my arrogance and my pride, in my, the top of the mountaintops when I'm feeling amazing. I get to be with Christ. And that is amazing. That's all I have to say about that. So why don't we stand? And Charlie and Coco, if you guys want to come and we just want to go back into a time of worship. I just want to go back into a time of worship where we can, can give ourselves to God, where we can say to him, God, I'm devoted to you. You are who you said you are. You are everything that you said you were. I believe you and I give myself to you. And Jesus, I commit myself to learning. I commit myself to loving. I commit myself to worshiping and I commit myself to being evangelistic. In this time of worship, why don't we just, however it is you, you, you want to do it, whether you close your eyes and you speak quietly, whether you just stand and raise your hands or lay flat or whatever it is you want to do. If you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, your King, give yourself to the things they gave themselves to and acts. Give, you, give yourself to learning, to loving, to worshiping and to being evangelistic, to going and spreading the gospel. If you don't know who Jesus is, why don't you just, everyone just close their eyes for a minute. It's going to start worship. Just keep your eyes closed. I want to give this opportunity that if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, if you don't know this joy that I speak of, of this life that I get to walk every day, please come to the front and let me talk to you. I'm not going to beat you with a Bible. I'm not going to smack you over the head. I'm not going to tell you you're a filthy sinner. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you more than ever. That He saved my life that He changed everything for me. That there's nothing that I would do now, there's nothing that I would give up to have anything more. That I would give everything away to keep Christ, to keep the love that He has for me. So if that's you, if you don't know who He is, why don't you just come to the front? 
just going to talk with you and pray for you. But if, if you already know who He is, just give yourself this morning. Give yourself over to these things, to wanting to know Him more, to worship Him, to be a, a people who, who know love, who will learn and who will take His gospel. Father, we, we offer ourselves right now as we go back into worship, as we go back into just declaring how good You are, declaring the wholeness of You. Jesus, we offer ourselves. We offer ourselves. Come and teach us how to learn. Teach us how to love. Teach us how to worship. Teach us how to take your gospel, Jesus. Teach us the things that they knew in Acts. The incredible glory that they saw. We love you, Jesus. We honor your beautiful name. Come and have your way, Lord.